Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. Lord, we have heard the truth of your word read. We have sung the truth of your word with our voices. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all of the things that are going on within our world, within our nation, within our community, and within our lives personally, within our our families, or even within our own hearts or bodies, Lord, uh, we turn to you now. We turn to you because we, we have nowhere else to go but to you. And Lord, as we look to you, you reveal to us your love, a love that turns our mourning into joy. And so, Lord, I, I do pray in Jesus' name that the truth of your word uh, would, would uh, bring conviction to our hearts, but then I also pray that the truth of the gospel would bring comfort and joy to us today. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open, open our, our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive. I pr- pray that this message would go from the ear to the heart and from the heart into lives that are lived out within the community, that we truly would go as a visible expression of, of your life and of your resurrection. So, Lord Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit and for humble hearts to receive today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to see each and every one of you here with us today. It's also good to know that uh, many of our church family are gathering with us online today. I know the roads are not perfect yet, and so it's a good thing that that, uh, many stay home as the roads are slippery. I heard that some of you had spin-outs and stuff on the way here. Um, So thank you for coming today, and thank you for being here uh, with us. Well, today we're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 31, and I invite you to stand as we read from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah declares the word of the Lord, For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts of Uh, Shouts for the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who's in labor together, a great company, they shall return to me. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands, from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud in the heights of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and of the herd. 
Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. When you read through the Bible, especially as you read through the Old Testament, you quickly notice that God's chosen people continually struggle with disobedience. Actually, from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you see that God's people struggle with disobedience. Then the nation of Israel continues to struggle with disobedience. God's chosen people are stubborn. God's chosen people don't want to walk God's path of holiness. God's chosen people demand their own way, and they reject God's way. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. But the same is, is true of you and, and I. By nature, we are people who reject God's path, and we demand our own way. So God, in his word, he's laid the path before us. But we're a people who are stubborn and disobedient, and we demand our own way. In the Old Testament, because of the stubbornness of, of God's people, because of their stubborn and disobedient ways, God sends judgment upon the Israelites. He sends judgment upon them. And one of the major events in the Old Testament history is what's called the, the Babylonian captivity or the Babylonian exile. The exiles of the Jews carried off to Babylon. And God, he, he sent many prophets, he sent preachers, he sent preachers just like Jeremiah to warn the Jews that if they do not repent and return to the Lord, that God will send devastation from foreigners from the north. So the preachers came, God gave them the word of the Lord saying, destruction will come upon Judah in Jerusalem if you do not repent I will send invaders, an army great and mighty, to devastate Judah and Jerusalem. Finally, God sent a major time of judgment upon the Jews. And it's recorded in the Bible. Again, it's called the Babylonian exile or the Babylonian captivity. I want us to look, Alyssa, at uh, Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 3 through 11. This is a portion of a sermon that the prophet Jeremiah preached to the people of Judah. And in this sermon, uh, he's revealing the word of the Lord for, for 23 years. From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. And I have spoken persistently to you. But Jeremiah says, but you have not listened. Can you imagine being a preacher who gets up and he preaches over and over and over again and the people just will not listen to the message? You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, 
Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and to your fathers from of old and forever. And here's the problem. He says, do not go after other gods. Don't go after these other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then then God says, I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, interesting, my servant, And I will bring them against this land, that is the land of the Jews and its inhabitants, and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish uh, from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. If you don't repent, you're going to be taken off as captives to a far and distant land. So the first thing we need to to understand is this. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The same God that warned the Israelites also warns us. God hasn't changed. God must punish disobedience. That's that's because he's a just God. And and I'm really grateful that God is a just God. A God who lets injustice go unpunished wouldn't be worthy of worship. Because there's no justice in allowing injustice to go unpunished. We often think of injustices against our fellow human beings, but we forget about the injustices that we commit against God. That every sin that we commit is not only against others, but it's also against God. Every injustice committed against our fellow human being is is an injustice committed to God. And and there are injustices directly committed against God himself. Namely, the first commandments. For us to understand the Ten Commandments, we need to understand that the first commandments are about loving God with all of our heart. It's about living in a relationship with God. So when we commit idolatry, when we, in other words, when we put something or make something in our lives more important than God, then then we're 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 breaking the first commandment and misuse of God's name. If we misuse His name, uh, we're sinning directly against God. And if we're not honoring the Sabbath day to keep it holy, then we're also sinning against God. The people of Jerusalem and Judea, they worship graven images. And and they fail to honor God by not caring for those who are in need. They neglected the needy. So, So God did what was right and just. 
He did what was right. He brought judgment upon them. And God used the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, as his servant to bring these Judeans into 70 years of exile. Can you imagine being taken from your, your, your own country, from your own home, and being forced and, and led as a captive to a completely foreign and strange land? But I'm no different than the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. I'm no different than those, those rebellious and disobedient and, and stubborn people. I too have sinned against the Lord. And we confess it. I have sinned against the Lord in thought, in word, and in deed. We've sinned against him. And this is why I'm so grateful that, that, God's, that God is also merciful and gracious. If God was only just, all of us would be in really big trouble. We'd all remain under his judgment. So there's a truth about God. He, he is just and he must punish sinners, but he's also loving and gracious and merciful. He loves you. And, and God is never satisfied to leave his people under judgment. God is never satisfied to leave any of us in that place of judgment. That's why he brings us this word. I love you. I forgive you. Grace and mercy are for you. God is never satisfied to leave his people under judgment. God loves his chosen people. So hear it today. God loves you. He loves you. So this brings us then to Jeremiah 31. Actually, it brings us to Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33. Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33 are what are called the little book of comfort. The little book of comfort. Any of you know what Jeremiah's nickname is? Jeremiah's nickname was the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. He's the weeping prophet because he mourns. He mourns over these words of judgment that he declares to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. But here in, in the middle of such a gloom and doom book of prophecy, Jeremiah 30, 31, 32, and 33 are a little book of comfort in the middle of this book of sadness and of judgment. Some commentators believe that during the terrible time of Babylonian captivity, which Jeremiah lived through, many commentators believe that Jeremiah would continually go back again and again to these sermons in Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33. Because he, he, was a, he was a prophet who mourned for the people he loved. And he needed to hear the promises of comfort and of grace and of love that God has for his wayward and disobedient people. Jeremiah 30 through 33 are the types of word that sustain us. They sustain Jeremiah. They sustained God's chosen people. And we need these words of hope and of comfort. 
Lutheran theologian David Gostek, and we have a quote on the screen, and speaking of, of this great love that God has, this great love that God has for, for people like you and I, a disobedient people, a rebellious people, a stubborn people. Speaking of, of this love, he says that such powerful love defies explanation. We can't explain this love. You know, if somebody comes to me and offends me and sins against me over and over and over and over again, eventually I'm just going to have to walk away. And, and that's why such powerful love defies explanation. Such powerful love chooses and makes its own the object of its choice so that no force in heaven and on earth can empty that choice of its power. God has chosen to love you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here is the certainty upon which our salvation, our life, and our hope rests. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Yes, God speaks judgment. But judgment is not God's final word. God's final word is a word of love and of hope and of comfort. So where do you think the forgiven believer should rest? Where should you and I rest? Do we rest under the word of God's judgment or do we rest under his word of love and of grace? The forgiven believer should rest in God's love. Because you're forgiven, there's no need for you to, to dwell under condemnation and judgment. Many people live with this weight, with this guilt. They failed other people, they failed God, they failed the church. So they live with this weight of guilt upon them. But, but God invites us not to dwell there, but to rest in his comforting love. How do we do this? How do we rest in his comforting love? Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's hearing the word of the gospel. We need to be a people with, with the open Bible at home, with our Bibles open at home, reading the truth of the word of the gospel. For it's in the gospel, it's in the word of God that we hear not only of, of God's justice and judgment, but it's also in the word of, of, of God that we hear the gospel of grace and of love and of forgiveness. Who here has ever been burned out by the demands of life? <laughs> Have you been burned out by everything that you need to do? Do you know that your family demands... Work demands, church demands, friends demands, society demands. So many demands. And those demands aren't, aren't necessarily bad. But life's demands have a way of wearing us down. That's why we say thanks be to God who comes to us in Jesus through the message of the gospel and he invites us not to do, but to rest. To rest in him and to receive his grace, which is so healing. You can't carry the weight 
of God's demands. You can't carry the weight of life's demands. Eventually, you'll just wear out. Simple illustration. These apples, they don't weigh very much, do they? No, I can lift them up. I can hold this this, uh, bushel of apples for a little while. Each of these apples represent things in our lives. Good things, a career, a family, friends, interests, hobbies, church. So many things in our lives that are so good, but so many things in our lives that demand so much of us, and we can, we can hold it up for a little while, right? But how long do you think I can really hold it up like this? It doesn't really weigh very much, so, so the weight isn't what matters. Really, I guess it's the, the time that I'm trying to hold it up, right? So if I keep holding this up in my own strength and in my own power, eventually my arm will start to ache. And eventually all the strength will go out of my arm and I'll go numb and I'll end up dropping everything. And everything will come crashing down on the floor. Right? All these things that are good and precious to me will come crashing down. If I don't continually go back to that place of laying everything at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to take the weight of it. So we find our rest in the word of the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has taken every burden upon himself. He went to the grave And all of your sins, all of the bad things were buried and he was resurrected to newness of life. And he says, I love you, I forgive you, and he invites you to rest there. This is why God gave to the people of Jerusalem and Judea, Jeremiah chapter 31 through 33. They couldn't bear the weight of their sins. They couldn't bear the weight of of the reality of God's justice. They couldn't bear the weight of the reality of God's judgment. They couldn't bear the weight of the reality of being removed from their home, from their country, and to be carried off as servants to a foreign land. So God gave to the people of Judah and Jerusalem the promises of comfort in Jeremiah 31 through 33. So how do I find rest in God's love and grace? Open your Bibles, read the word, hear the word of the gospel, for it's in the gospel you find your rest. And I'm going to take us in a different direction now, but it's really connected to God's word. And and the reason I, I speak of this is because it's in Jeremiah chapter 31. So the second thing is not only hearing the word of the gospel, but then responding with songs of praise. So number one is hear the word of the gospel. Number two is sing praises to God. For it's in singing his praises that the reality of the gospel moves from the head to the heart. So music is a powerful thing. Music alone, even without singing praises to God, can affect actually your hormone levels. 
Just one example is that certain types of music can increase melatonin, which is that uh, hormone that induces sleep and, and makes you feel uh, like you can rest. And at the same time, it can decrease cortisol levels. And you know what the hormone cortisol is? It's that stress response. But adding words to music is even more powerful. There's a quote on the screen. Yip Yarberg, who wrote all the lyrics of The Wizard of Oz, said that, that words make you think a thought. Music makes you feel a feeling. But a song makes you feel a thought. Music makes you feel a thought. Singing praises to God connects the truth of God's word with our innermost being. Singing moves the gospel from the head to the heart. Singing makes faith authentic and tangible, something that really works not only theologically, but also emotionally. It's a healing thing. So what does the Lord say to the defeated and gloomy people? For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. And the Bible is full of singing. One of the major points of all this singing in the Bible is this, that where there is salvation, there is joy. And where there is joy... They're singing. You also see from the Bible that music not only brings forth expressions of joy, it, it helps us deal with the reality of sadness and loss. That's why about half the songs are songs of lament, songs expressing the sadness of life. So how do I find rest in a demanding world? How do I find rest practically in God's love and grace? Well, the first point is something you've probably heard. If you've been in church your whole life, you've heard it your whole life. If you've been in church for only a little while, well, hopefully you're going to start hearing it over and over again. Open your Bible. You can understand everything you read in the Bible. I don't. But God is going to give you something that you need. A verse to underline, a verse to highlight, a promise to memorize, a promise to pray. We go to his word. And then we gather with God's people, or even by yourself, or even in your car. How many of you like to crank up the radio and just sing along? I'm not a very good singer, but I just love to sing. Ask my family and my kids. Sing praises to God, for it's in singing his praises that the reality of the gospel moves from just a thing that's up here to a thing that's in the heart. There's healing there. And I have an article on not only the theological power of singing, it also explores the uh, clinical power. Of singing too. I have four of those articles that I've printed for you, or I can email it to you. 
Hear the word of the gospel. Sing praises to God. And in closing, we cannot help but but place the highest value on the gathering of God's people in services of worship. Because that's what we do here, right? Hear the word. Sing his praises. We don't gather to be entertained here. We gather to hear the word, to sing the word, and to praise him. So our services should not be first and foremost like user-friendly or seeker-sensitive, but rather biblically sound and biblically beneficial to the building up of the body of Christ. Because if you're worn down by the demands of life, by all of these things that we have to hold up, entertainment won't cut it. In the worship service, we hear the word of the gospel proclaimed, proclaimed into ears, into ears that hear so much negativity. And then in the singing, the joy that is ours in the gospel moves from the head to the heart in a profound and healing way. So we place the highest value upon church attendance because in here we're given the stuff that we need to meet the demands of the life out there. So much is demanded of us, your family, your job, your community, your church. We need the rest that Jesus gives in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah. Lord, we need to return not only to Jeremiah, but to all of the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, in our own devotions and our own study. Thank you, Lord, that our Sunday school class, uh, starting, I think, next week, will be studying uh, the book of Jeremiah in Sunday school. So I pray for your blessings upon that class, and may those who attend uh, receive the truth of your word in that time. But Lord... We've heard your word, so set our hearts at rest. Lord, I pray that you would open our mouths to sing your praises, and that in singing, these truths would move from our head to our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.